Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. New York City, hey, how are you today? I'm all the way here from the nation of Connecticut, so so great to be here. It took me longer to get here than it does to get me to JFK. I don't know what the heck with Manhattan it's like, but uh, it's the Manhattan, right? Uh, but I'm glad to be here, honored to be here. Bill, thank you for having me, and I, I love this church. Man, I, I was just like, that worship, come on, I just want to hang out more. And then you're going to do the prophetic? I'm like, I should stay for that. And then you're like going to go and do like feeding the poor and outreach. I could do that. And I, everything, I was like, I'm in, I'm in, except for the, the, like, the matchmaking thing. I don't need that. And so just so you know, like none of that going on here. But I love what you guys are doing here in the city. It's good stuff. Um, I mean, it's, we, I get to go around all the places and to know that there's revival in New York City because you're here right? You might say, well, there's no revival here. We're not Bethel. We're not Texas. You know, you're, you are revival. You are revival. And, and you've encouraged me just to, just to feel this spirit that's in this place today. Because it's authentic. It's real. It's life-giving. It's hunger. Um, it's heaven, right? So good. So thank you for having me here. Honored to be here. My wife would have loved to have been here, but um, we are empty nesters, and we have a dog. So that explains everything right there. <laughs> Nobody to watch the dog. <laughs> and uh, so, but I'm honored to be here. It's, uh, it's a great time. And I think it is a strategic time right now. The world's been disrupted. Uh, we might say it's in chaos. And God loves to create when there's chaos in the world, right? And, uh, you know, it wasn't just creation where God hovered over chaos. But it was actually the day of Pentecost, that looked like chaos to the world, but it looked like the kingdom to the church. You know, that they said, these guys are crazy. They're running around drunk, like drunk people. Nah, that's, that's the kingdom of God. <laughs> and I just want you to know that God loves to create the kingdom when the world looks like it's in chaos. And uh, that's what today is about, really, that the king of glory came in today. And I love how you just brought us into that place. And I want to talk to you about who is the king. That's what we're going to talk about today. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 21. I'll just take a couple minutes. We, we talked about this in the first service. It might go a different way. It usually does go a different way. The second one, we'll just see where it goes. But I want to talk about the king. For Matthew 21, verse 8 through 10. It says, Now a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? Who is this king? Who is the king? Turn to someone and say, who's the king? All right. And if you're a husband in the house, that's not you, okay? We're not saying, like, who's the king, honey, you know? Um, Jesus is the king, and if Jesus is the king of your house, the glory's going to come into your house. And Jesus is the king, and if Jesus is the king, the glory of God could come into your, your job, into the hospital where you serve the sick, into the, the financial office where you serve those who are trying to be good stewards of their resources, into your school. God, the King of Glory wants to come in. So, you know, we're living a time where 
there seems to be this tension between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And, and they were always lived in that time since, since the beginning, since the original fall of man where God said, you know, because you did this, the earth is going to fall into this place of turmoil, chaos. And, and then he said to the other kingdom, the, to the serpent, he said, because you did this, the seed of this woman is going to crush your head. The day is going to come when all authority and all power will come on the seed of this woman. And we're in that, we're in that clash of kingdoms right now. We see the kingdoms of this world clashing against one another. But I want, I want to tell you that that's where God does his greatest work Whenever we have this tension, in fact, we've all lived in this time of challenge and transition, and in that time, we can have a mixture of, of feelings that take place. We can have a mixture of, of uncertainty, but we could still have hope because we know who's on the throne. We don't know who's you know, what's going to happen in the next election. We don't know what's going to happen in the war in Eastern Europe. We don't know what's going to happen with the dollar. We don't know what's going to happen with China. But we don't, do know this. He is on the throne. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which tells us we can have hope even in times when we have uncertainty. And those are not, those are not competing values. Or those are not competing feelings. But they're feelings that we, we hold in tension. And during the time that we've gone through in this world, and you especially have gone through in New York City, because even though I live in Connecticut and, and, and we're not Texas, right? New York City had a unique experience over this last season. And, le and let me just say, I believe that the church is going to come back greater, going to come back stronger, going to come back healthier, going to come back more authentic, going to come back more compassionate, going to come back more powerful. And I, and I believe that that's already happening but I also want to tell you we're, we're also the the reason that we're going to come back with greater anointing is because the anointing is always attracted to authenticity it's attracted to the whenever we could be like David and we can lay our soul out to him and say God here's the injustice here's the pain here's the anger but I want to acknowledge that you're the king and we can live in that in that place that Heaven is attracted to authenticity, to reality. And, and, I, and I learned this um, a couple years ago. Before even what we went through, I went through a personal, personal experience that taught me that God is still there when you have joy and he's still there when you have sadness. And he's even there when you have anger. And we've experienced all of those things. And, and we might experience all those things in the same day. I experienced that in, in October of 2019, almost in the period of one day, and that was because my oldest daughter got married. <laughs> and if you're a dad who's ever uh, given your daughter away in marriage, you know that there's a great joy that comes in that. And the day that she fulfills her vows and you see the things that you raised her to be, she becomes. And then the next day, it feels like somebody died. Like, it, you, there's great sadness. You know, when you walk past that empty room and that, you know, little girl that drank coffee with you every morning for years isn't there to drink coffee with you. And then there's anger because you realize there's a boy who took her away. And you contemplate the Second Amendment. I'm just saying, <laughs> fathers have a right to bear arms. <laughs> 
against boys who take their daughters. And, 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 and that empty room reminded me of something every time I walk by it and, and the, the challenge of the joy and the sadness and the anger. Do you know what I'm saying here? It's a metaphor that we've gone through a period of time and, it, and even the things that we've lost might create an emptiness. But what we do with the emptiness determines what God does out of us. And I, and I remember looking at that empty room for a couple of weeks and saying to my wife, I'm tired of this empty room. I want to do something with it. I can't stand this empty room. And, you know, I, I thought of things I could do with it, like put a weight room in there. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know if that was going to get past the committee or not. Uh, I thought of a couple other things, but I just went, she's like, well, what do you want to do with it? Now, I just went straight to the answer that was going to get the yes. I said, let's put a prayer room in there. And, and so we had agreement. Isn't that good? So, you know, guys... Just go for the, the idea that you know you're going to get agreement on. Amen? Just, just go for agreement. Stop negotiating and just go with what the Lord says. All right? So I put a prayer room in there at the end of 2019. And you know in 2020, I ended up in that prayer room a lot. I ended up praying things. Um, the Bible says when you don't know how to pray, pray in the Spirit. And I didn't know what to pray. There's some days you don't know what to pray. And I thank God that we have a heavenly prayer language because there's some days I want to pray the wrong thing. But instead of praying the wrong thing, pray in the Spirit. It's better to pray stuff you don't understand than stuff you shouldn't. Let's, let's just put it straight up because sometimes on I-95, you pray stuff you shouldn't. You know you do. Going across the GW, you're saying stuff to those truckers that are unutterable things, right? <laughs> So pray in the Spirit, and, and I spent a lot of time praying in the Spirit, and I want to tell you that what you fill yourself up with in the empty moments, in the places where you have the tension of, of all of the feelings that you have, that's what God brings out of you because it's in, your, it's in your weakness that His strength is made perfect. It's in your emptiness that He fills you with the things of the kingdom that you need. Are you with me here? Because I believe that God has given us a moment of tension to fill us with the power of the kingdom. I believe he's given us a moment that looks like chaos so that the kingdom can come and hover and create something that God wants to create. And God creates his greatest things during times of chaos. The king of glory wants to come in. And, and um, in May of 2020, just a couple months after we all, we know we all got shut down, I was doing a as everybody was, a, a Zoom conference online. It was, I think it was with a group of churches in South Africa, and they're on a different time zone, so I, had, I got done church early, which was great. And uh, I decided to take a, a, my motorcycle on a ride through the country roads of Connecticut. I was almost home. I was just a, less than a mile away from home, and I, uh, I took a spill. I don't remember, um, but I woke up in the hospital, and um, I remember a voice behind me. It wasn't an angel. It was a nurse. And uh, I heard this voice. I don't remember. There's about three hours of my life I don't remember, but I, I remember this. This voice said, sir, sir, where are you from? And I said, what do you mean? She said, what country are you from? And I said, I'm from here. Why? Why are you asking? And she said, because you've been speaking out loud in a language I've never heard for five minutes. That's what she said. And I, and I think they had already given me medicine. It was just kicking in. They probably gave me a shot of epinephrine. I don't know what it is. But I was like, oh, that's my heavenly prayer language. I'm a Christian. As if that's a perfectly normal thing to say. And um, the whole room just got quiet. And um, I, didn't, I would like to say I preached the gospel, but there wasn't any belief there to preach the gospel. It was just awkward silence. And um, 
So they asked me a few more questions like, well, what's your name? Um, what's your social security number? What's your, what's your, what date is it? And I got all the answers right. And, and then I even realized later on, I said my social security number out loud in the trauma room. Like, I must have been on drugs to say that, right? So, uh, but they took me up to the observation room a couple hours later. They took, kept me over and I had, a, I had like five fractured ribs and good conk in the head, a moderate, mild to moderate concussion apparently. My brain's in pretty good shape. Most people say I'm healed, but my wife's not sure. Um, we'll see. Um, and I had, had some recovery, but I was in the room, and the nurse came in to the seventh floor nurse that they put me in Bridgeport Hospital, and I was, she was taking my information. And um, I said, your voice really sounds familiar. Are you one of the nurses that was downstairs? And she said, yes, yes, sir. I was in the trauma room. And I said, oh, are you the nurse that asked me if I was from another country? And she didn't answer the question. She said, it's okay, sir. People say strange things when they're on medicine. That's exactly the answer she gave me. People say, and then I, then I thought of all the other procedures I've had where I've been medicine. I thought, did I say strange things then too? Um, I guess if you're an emergency room nurse or a, or a doctor that works in, in operations, you probably heard some pretty interesting things. But uh, she said, that's okay. People say strange things on their medication. Since I was on medication, I had a good comeback. I said, no, I say strange things all the time. I don't need medicine for that. <laughs> And she said, okay. I said, in fact, you know, I'm a Christian, and I believe God talks to me, and he's telling me something for you. And she said, oh, that's nice, sir. You know, she's just being polite because it's her job, and I'm also over-medicated. And so I said, no, he's telling me you have an eight-year-old daughter. Is that true? She said, that's strange, sir. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I said, he's telling me your daughter loves to draw, and she draws cartoon characters. She said, who are you? Just like that, who are you? And I said, no, it's not important about who I am. It's important about who Jesus is. And Jesus wants me to tell you, your daughter's greatest joy isn't, isn't artistry. It's, it's music. And she used to play the piano. But a year ago, she stopped taking piano lessons because of the teacher was very hard on her. But her greatest joy is to play the piano and sing. And his greatest joy is to hear her play the piano and sing. And there in my hospital room with a concussion, five cracked ribs, pierced lung, or whatever else was going on in me, epinephrine. <laughs> my nurse gave her life to Jesus Christ because the king of glory came in. Yeah. The question was, who are you, sir? And, and, what, and that's the same question these people asked. Who is the king? Now, that's what I want to ask you is who is the king because the king is the king on your best day and he's the king on, the, on your worst day. He's the king whenever the world looks like it's in chaos. And he's the king on the day where you ride your bike and nothing happens, right? And so the answer comes within the context of this question. And you see, here's what it says. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We actually started this out beautifully today when pastor had to stand up and just bless, just, just welcome the king of glory. And that's exactly what they were doing. But as I read this, it strikes me. It says, those who went before and those who followed. Those who went before and those who followed cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I I know that 
each of us have our own story, you know. Some of us may have met Jesus early in life. I, they tell me I was a week old when I first went to church, and I was too, old, too young to remember when I actually first received Jesus. I remember the day I remember, but they said it was before that. And I, I, I can't remember a time that I didn't know him, but I also know that those who come before and those who follow are the ones who bring the king in. It's not just those of us who grew up with an experience of Jesus or a knowledge of Jesus. It's those who are recognizing who he is today. Because even the disciples took a time to recognize who he was. Even the disciples didn't really know who he was. And, and Jesus was called many names when he was growing up. And those of us who you know grew up in a bullying culture, we know that it's just kind of common to grow up around that culture where, you know, people make nicknames for you. And Jesus was called the son of a carpenter, which wasn't a good vocation to be from. He was called uh, an illegitimate child because his mother became pregnant out of wedlock. So think about the word that's attached to an illegitimate child. That's the word he was called. He was called nothing good comes from Nazareth. He was called a nobody because the town he came from was a, a nobody place to be from. So there were some natural things that Jesus was used to being called, but, but Jesus called himself by a certain name. Jesus actually gave himself a title. We know that he's the eternal word. He's the word of God who was, who is, who is to come. He's the creator God. He was the word who was with God at the beginning and in the word that became flesh, John 1, John 13, or John 1, 1, John 1, 13, tells us that he's the eternal word of God. But what did Jesus call himself? The Bible says this in John 8, 28. Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, everybody say son of man. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And so Jesus, and, and it's all throughout the New Testament, He called Himself dozens of times, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And we know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Word of God. He is the one who spoke the worlds into his existence. It's by his word that the whole world is held together, Colossians 1 tells us. Jesus is the eternal spoken Word of God that became flesh, but Jesus didn't come to call himself by a heavenly title. He came to call himself by an earthly title, and he came to reveal himself as the Son of Man because he wanted to identify with us, not on his best day, but he wanted to identify with us on our worst day. I'm the son of man. I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. I, I'm flesh and blood. I bleed. I have feelings. I, 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 I get hurt. And he's saying, but I can, when my, because my father lives in me, because of my father, I could do nothing of myself but my father. I could do nothing of myself but my father. What is, what is he saying there? He's saying that I came to show you what it's like to be a daughter of God, a son of God, a child of God. I came, Jesus didn't come to show us what God would do if he was on the earth. He came to show us what we were created to do on the earth. He said, I can do nothing except for my father. And then when he was resurrected, he said to his, his disciples, he said, as my father sent me, so send I you. 
So the same things that I did, you can do. The same father that I have, you have. The same identity I have, you have. And so he came to identify with us as the son of man. Who is this king? Who is this king? He's a dude. <laughs> like, he's a man. There's a man on the throne. This is an amazing scripture. You talked about Revelation. There's an amazing scripture in Revelation. It says, and I saw one who was like the son of man who sat on the throne and there was a crown, a golden crown on his head, which means that Jesus is a man that's a king. And he came to show us how we're supposed to live on the earth. Who is this king? Who is this king? He's the son of God, but he's the son of man. Disciples followed Jesus for many years, and they um, saw him do miracles. In fact, they did miracles in his name. They cast out demons. They raised the dead. They cleansed the leper. He told them to go do it, and they did it. But there was a, there's an interesting passage. It's in Matthew chapter 16, where he's having a conversation with his disciples, and he goes, I got a question for you. And they're like, okay, what? And he's like, who do people say I am? Now, I told you some of the things Jesus was called when in junior high, <laughs> in the bullying years. Jesus was called illegitimate. Jesus was called son of a carpenter. Nothing good comes from there. But they didn't say any of those things. They, they said, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. And these were all, these were all people that were held in high esteem in the Jewish culture. But that would have been miraculous for him to be a manifestation. See, they knew he wasn't just normal, but they didn't know who he was. They couldn't understand him. And I want to tell you that sometimes we don't even understand ourselves. We, we know, okay, I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I'm supposed to be yet. Who am I? Who am I? Well, don't let yourself be defined by what other people say you are. Because some people might say to you, well, yeah, you're this person now, but I knew you when you were a kid. You know, I knew, I knew those things you did. I know what you used to post on social media. I know what happened to you when you were eight. I know who, what you said when you were 12. I know the relationships that you had before. And, and don't let yourself be defined by what other people say you are or what, how they saw you in a previous season because you are now a child of God. And you're not defined by who you were in junior high or who you were even two years ago. You're defined by who your father is in heaven, right? And so, so Jesus is saying, what well, I don't think he was trying to figure out who he was. He was trying to figure out if they were being influenced by other people. And after he, they gave these kind of squirrely answers, Jesus doesn't respond, which I love. He doesn't say, that's nuts. Why would people say I'm Jeremiah? Like, why would they say I'm John the Baptist? Because he was alive the same time as me. Like, that, that's really crazy. But Jesus didn't defend himself, and he didn't try to prove himself. Because when you know you are, you don't have to defend yourself. You know, you don't have to answer every comment on social media. There's a great button. It's called Band Delete. I love that button. <laughs> People want to cancel you? Just cancel the devil. Like, can cancel the accuser of the brethren. Like, you don't have to give your head space to the accuser of the brethren. We've overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Jesus answers the question or, or, or confronts the, the statements that they say by not by defending himself or proving themselves, but he confronts it by saying, but who do you think I am? That's really the question. It's not who does the city say the king is. It's who do you say the king is? 
It's not what does your employer say is your right moral values. It's what does he say is your right moral values. It's not what the CDC or the, the health department or the, the, the school teachers. It's what does the father say about the values that we live by. It's so important in the time that we live in that we understand that we can't allow ourselves, we can't allow our children to be defined by the values of the culture, but the values of the kingdom. And that doesn't mean we have to go around and tell them they're stupid. Jesus didn't say those people are stupid for believing that. He just said, I'm going to believe what the Father says, and if you want to cancel me for that, that's fine. But I'm going to love you. And I think that we're strong enough to love people who don't understand the values of the kingdom, but not compromise the values of the kingdom and call that love. It's not love for me to compromise my value so that I can build a bridge with you, but it is love for me to love you even if your values are different than mine. And I think that's the strength of the church is that we don't have to say, well, that's stupid for you to believe that. We can just say, well, here's what I believe. What does the Father say? And Jesus is just teaching them how to do this because they're going to have to do this the rest of their life without him, like without him physically present, although he's in them, right? So they're going to have to be able to stand up whenever they are challenged by Greek philosophy or by Roman dictatorship. They're going to have to stand up in front of lions. They're going to have to stand up in front of crowds that are cheering against them. Many of them, those that stood there, every single one of them gave their life for him because they understood this, who do you say that I am? Peter finally comes up with the right answer. It's famous. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, I would imagine if you are one of 12 disciples who gets it right, and this a question that's been wrestled with by theologians for centuries and you're the standalone guy that's like, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. You would think at least you'd get like a high five, a fist bump, like, yeah. But Jesus is, here's his response. Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Actually, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. But because, and he even goes back to, you're a son of man, you're a son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father, what is he saying? You didn't define me by my earthly perspective. You define me by my heavenly perspective. Therefore, you will be Peter. I'm not going to let you be defined by your earthly perspective. You're not just the son of Jonah. You're not just Simon the stone, but you will be Peter the rock because you have a father in heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail. He says, I will build my kingdom on this rock. I believe what he's saying is when you have an understanding from the Father of who you are, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you because you have an identity that's built on the foundation of heaven. I believe what he's saying is when you understand that you have an identity from the Father, then you can build the church at the gates of hell. And he was literally standing at a place that was a, a pagan temple entrance, and it was known as the gates of hell. And he was saying, I'm going to build my church on the gates of hell. I'll build it on Wall Street. I'll, I'll, I'll build it in New York City. I'll, I'll build it in the Bowery. I'll build it, I'll, build it, I'll build it in the hood. I'll build it in the suburbs. I'll build my church at the gates of hell. Because when you have a revelation from God of who you are, you know who your daddy is. You know where you come from. 
God will let you on your worst day release the kingdom of God into the lives of people who are going through hell. And I believe that that's what Jesus came to reveal himself. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. But interestingly enough, not only is he the son of God, he's the son of man, but it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Everybody say son of David. This is interesting. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. That's David talking about his own conception. Jesus is called the son of David, and in that he's identifying not just with the kingship of David, but with the person of David as a father. When you call someone your son, you call him like, that's my father. He's, he's allowing himself to be identified with David. And now we see who David is. David says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. There are scholars that say that that could be translated literally in this sin that I committed, in the same sin that I committed, my mother conceived me. What he's saying here is that I committed adultery. I made a mistake, and I actually am a result of the same sin. There's many Jewish scholars who believe that David, the reason he was different from the rest of his family, he was the son that was sent out to the field. He was the one who, when the prophet showed up to his house, his father even forgot his existence. It was because he had a different mother. And he was an illegitimate child, like Jesus was accused of being. Jesus doesn't just identify with us on our best day. He identifies with us on our worst day. He doesn't just identify us with us on our days when we're on the throne. He identifies with us for the days that we were broken, the days that we're hurting. He's called the son of David because... He's a God that redeems, that restores the broken. When the king comes into the city, he doesn't come into the city to tell them how broken they are. He comes in to restore them back to their identity. He comes in to say, yes, you were an illegitimate child. Yes, you were forsaken by your father. And David even had a father-in-law who could have mentored him, but tried to kill him, King Saul. David didn't have father figures in his life. David's brothers never came around him. If you look how, even when David, David became powerful, none of his family members are mentioned because most scholars believe David was from another family lineage. But Jesus said, I'm going to come through that. I'm going to come through the broken. I'm going to come through the wounded. I'm going to come through the least of these. And so Jesus identifies with David on his worst day, not just on his best day. And the one who didn't have a father, the one who had a father who perhaps abused him and sent him to the field, the one who had a father who tried to kill him, becomes the father of Jesus, son of David. That tells me that I'm not defined by my personal lineage. I'm not defined by my family lineage. It's part of me, and God redeems it. But that's not who my father is. Are you with me? Jesus is the son of David, but he's also the son of Adam. Paul talks about Jesus as being the last Adam. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about, you were born of the first Adam, who is a breathing soul, he's flesh and blood, but you're now of the second Adam who is a living spirit, a Zoe Numa. It's, 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 it's great language. It's basically 
You have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and it dwells in you, the Zoe Numa of God, and it quickens your mortal body in the same way it quickened the dead body of Christ into resurrected life. It, re it resurrects you from your sin. It resurrects you from your pain. It resurrects you. And so you're not just a breathing soul, but you're a Zoe Numa. You're a living spirit. And that's powerful language if you, if you dig into it. But it goes back to the fact that Jesus didn't just come to demonstrate what God does. He came to demonstrate what humans do. Jesus came to show us what humans look like on the earth. Humans created in the image and likeness of God. Humans that were born to be God's representative on the earth. Yes, we lost that distinction because of sin. But through Jesus, everything that was lost in the garden is restored by the cross. And the bread that was put in man from the beginning that sin sucker punched us and we got the wind knocked out of us Jesus walks through a wall in John 20 he looks at his disciples and goes receive again the spirit of God because you are a new creation in Christ the old things are passed away everything has been made new and sin can sucker punch you and knock the wind out of you but Jesus can walk through the walls of your life and breathe on you and say you are a new creation in Christ. He could take the worst of the worst of us and give us the breath of God. The creative breath of God is in you. And because the creative breath of God is in you, now the Christ in you is the hope of glory for the world. The Christ in you that's released out of you because you prayed in the spirit in your empty place. What was inside of you came out of you. Why did tongues come out of me in the emergency room because that's what was in me in my empty room what I put in me in my empty room is what comes out of me in the emergency room what I put in me in my deficit is what comes out of me when I step into my destiny and I want to tell you that God has given us this beautiful opportunity to fill ourselves with the breath of God again because creation is waiting is groaning for the manifestations of, so, of the sons and daughters of God in the earth. See, Jesus is the son of Adam. Everybody say son of Adam. It's actually listed in his, in his genealogy in the book of Matthew. But James 5, I want you to look at this. Verse 17 through 18, and there's a lot of scriptures today. I don't apologize for that, but I understand that it's, it's not the norm in church, but I'm a Bible guy. So, Elijah was a man. You could say Elijah was a person because, I, I mean, he was a man. So we don't want to confuse his gender. But I just want to say it's, it's not just men that God uses this way. Elijah was a human with a nature like ours. James isn't just throwing out words here. He's, he's actually telling something. He's, like, he's, 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 he's normal. He's a normal guy. In fact, let's just say Elijah was a little crazy if you've really studied him. He's, he's nuts. So he's, like, he's being generous to Elijah or else he's being really bad to us because like Elijah's nuts <laughs> in a good way but he's still crazy all right Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit James James isn't just talking about Elijah here if you read the language, there's, there's no language in the story of Elijah that, that says the earth gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. The, the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. It doesn't talk about that. It just talks about he prayed and the rain came. So he's not referring just to Elijah's story. He's actually going back 
to the first Adam. And he's actually talking about the last Adam, Jesus, and he's talking about us. Genesis 2, 4 and 5 says this. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, listen, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. So Genesis tells us that heaven could not produce rain, and the earth would not produce fruit until man and woman in the image of God were on the earth to represent him because the earth was crying out for sons and daughters of God. And James says, Elijah was a man. He was a person like you. He had good days and he had bad days, but he prayed. And when he prayed, the heavens opened and the earth produced fruit. And I want to tell you today, Jesus came. He came because he wanted to show us what happens when the king comes into the earth. That those who went before and those who come after, when they cry, let the king of glory come in, then the people in the city say, who is this king? Who is this person? I believe that what God is doing right now is he's positioning his church to be the people that would pray and the heavens would open. People that would pray and the earth would produce its fruit. I believe that God is giving creative, strategic ideas, but the first strategy comes with identity. Knowing that he's in me on my worst day, that what I fill myself with in my emptiness is what comes out of me in my emergency. <laughs> I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask you guys just to stand to your feet because I'm going to pray for a few people. I want to release a few things over, over this house. But also, I, I want you to know today that he's with you in your emptiness. He's hovering over chaos and darkness and emptiness that he is brooding as we've heard this morning but he's not just doing that so that he can expose it he's doing it so he can fill it if you're here today and there's a part of you that feels like maybe you are in that empty place or maybe there's a deficit or perhaps you're questioning who the king is, I want to tell you today, he wants to reveal himself to you. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And if you're here today and you've never received him as the son of God, he's here today. He's revealed himself as the son of man, son of David, the son of Adam. But I want to tell you, he is the son of God because it's only God who could have taken a human form and died for us. 
It's only God who could have taken the curse for us. That's why it had to be on a cross, because curse was everything that hung on a tree. It had to be God who would go into a tomb and then resurrect that body again, because it's only God who created life that could defeat death. It's only God who could had no sin, who could become sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to become like us so that we could become like him. And today he invites you into that. And if you're here and you've never received him into that place, you've never invited him into that place, you could do that right now. You could do that right this moment. And if you're here and you'd like to say, you know what? I I believe today Jesus is the son of God. And I want to receive him in my life. I believe he came. He died, he rose again so that I could be a new creation in Christ. And if you'd like to just publicly confess that today, we're going to do that together as a group in just a minute. I'm not going to pull any punches here. We're going to pray in just a minute together and make that confession. But if you've never made that confession and you would like to join us in that confession, I would like to see, did, can you raise a hand? They say, I'm, I'm going to make that confession with you today. If, that's, if this is your first time, because we're going to do it anyway, but, I, but I'd like to know if you did it, okay? So, We're going to pray. Everybody in this room, just bow your head and close your eyes. If you've never made this confession, I want to invite you to make it with us today. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my life. Make all the old things new. Make all the dead things alive. Make me the person. I was created to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.